is a little bit different this morning, and obviously that's because last night our kids had their first uh, night of their Christmas program, a crazy, busy, peaceful, holy night. Uh, did a great job with that. Many of you were here. And so we do want to invite you back tonight. Our plan, our plan is, as of right now, we're going to watch the weather, and uh, at, it's on as of right now. If, if the weather changes to the point to where we feel like that it's not safe, then around 3.30 we'll make that call and we'll post that on Facebook. So make sure you watch Facebook on that. Uh, but but we, we're hoping and praying that tonight we're able to have that because the kids did a great job and it was a great time. And so if you saw it and you want to come back, come back. If you didn't see it, come. And we'd love to have you join us for that. So this is the first Sunday of Advent, which, uh, of course, for Christians is a very significant season on our calendar. And for those of you who may not be familiar with what Advent is, or maybe you've heard the word tossed around and you know it has something to do with the Christmas season, but you're not exactly sure what it means, Advent is a word, we get it from the Latin word Adventus, and it's a word that just simply means coming or visitation. And so this season of Advent, which begins four Sundays before Christmas, uh, which is this morning, and it's intended to be a time of preparation and anticipation as we move towards celebrating that, that morning when Jesus came and he showed up into this messed up, broken world. And so this is such an important season, especially in these days that we live in. And, and, and again, last night at the Christmas musical, they sang about this and talked about it. It's just a crazy, busy time in, in, in the world. And, and uh, so Advent is intended to serve as a reminder for us about what Christmas is really all about. Because, you know, let's face it, even though we all know what Christmas is about, um, it's easy to get sucked in to all that this time of year has become, especially, you know, in this commercialized, consumeristic, self-absorbed culture that we live in. It's easy for us to get kind of sucked in to all of that and everything that's going on this time of year. And sometimes it's good for us to be reminded that it's not all about, you know, Christmas is not all about chubby guys in red suits, or elves on the shelves, or um, you know, Christmas trees, or gifts, or the Hallmark Christmas specials, or or it's even it's even not all about getting together as family. As awesome as all of those things are, and all of those things are awesome. Well, all except for the elves on the shelves; those are kind of creepy. But as awesome as the rest of those things are, you know, Christmas. We need to remember that Christmas is centered on the fact that two thousand years ago, God came. And when he came, everything changed. And it changed for you. And it still impacts you and it still impacts me. And, and you know, when, when, when God came, it's, it's so interesting because he came in, in really the most unusual, unexpected way. Most people thought that if God was going to come, that he would come as a military leader or a political leader. That he would come likely, you know, as a conquering king. And of course, we know that instead, God did the unexpected in that he humbled himself and he came as a defenseless, helpless little baby. And because of that advent, that coming, because of that, everything has changed. Aren't you glad for that this morning? And so, so it's important, you know, 
that we remember that. That, that. that actually is one important aspect of Advent. But there's actually another one. And sometimes we, we forget to talk about this. But there's, there's another component of the Advent season, and that is that not only are we reminded the importance of looking back, we're also challenged to look forward because there's another Advent coming. We know this, right? That, that Jesus has promised that he will come again. There is going to be a second Advent. In fact, that's one of the great promises that Jesus gave us before he left. He, he said that he would come again one day. And, and this time, you know, when he comes again, this time it's not going to be as a helpless little baby. This time, indeed, he will come as a conquering king. And so we look toward, we look forward to that second advent. And so this, 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 this time that we live in, it's kind of an interesting time. In fact, it kind of could be described as maybe an in-between time. That, that we just live in this time in between, in between the first advent and the second advent of Christ. And, and I think if there's one word that could describe the whole idea of advent, I think it would be the word hope. Because really, um, you know, the reason I say that is because ultimately both Jesus' first advent and second advent, they are all surrounded, they're saturated with this idea of hope. That, that's why hope, you know, it, it's sprinkled all throughout this particular season, probably more than any other season, you know. During this time of year, we sing songs of hope. And we, we receive messages of hope and Christmas cards and letters. And, and, and we hold on to hope when we think about family getting together. You know, we, we hope that, that they'll all come. And then we hope that once they get there, they'll all get along, right? Hope, hope is saturated throughout this season. We, we hope that, that there might be a present under the tree with our name on it. Hope is, is just kind of saturated throughout the season. It's really the defining message of the season. And so that's what we're going to focus our attention on over the next few weeks. And uh, speaking of hope, uh, Stacy mentioned this in the announcement video, but my hope is that all of you were able to pick up one of these little devotionals. They're, they, she said they're available out in the lobby afterwards. Last week kind of messed us up, and, and this week messed us up a little bit too. And so we're going to make these available. Uh, they're $6, which is what our cost for them was. We're not making anything on them. They're $6. And, and I just want to say this, that if the $6 is something that would prohibit anybody from getting one, um, come see Laura and I, and we'll make sure that you get one. Because we really want to make sure that, that every family has one of these. And the reason that these are important is because um, the, the, there's a daily reading. And they're short. They're only a couple of pages long. But there's a, day, a reading for every day. And the readings are going to go along with the week's messages, the theme for that week. And so um, we really encourage you to grab one of these. I, I really believe that it will, it will deepen the impact of this season. And what, what I think could be the most powerful thing of all is the fact that we all are going to be journeying towards Christmas through the season together. That we're all going to be kind of on the same page. And so we encourage you to pick one of those up. And so that's my commercial on that. And uh, oh, one, one other thing. Um, for those of you who are parents and have kids, there's also a children's version of this. 
And so um, these are available down in the, the kids' department, and these are free. So we, we bought these, and we want to just kind of gift them to your kids. And inside, there is a sto- the story that goes along, uh, a daily story, a reading, but there's also coloring pages and some activities and things like that. And so parents, 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 t- pick one of these up, take them home, and just kind of journey with your kids towards Christmas. I mean, take the lead in this, and, and especially, you know, for our kids, with all of the messages that they get at school and in the media and the focuses and in all of the places, this is a great tool to point them towards Jesus as we journey towards Christmas morning together. So we encourage you to get one of those and do that as a family. And then, one la- and then the last thing is, there's also an app. So if you go um, to the app store, whatever device you have, and you put in a thrill of hope, there's an app that goes along with this, and there's a little story video that's cute that goes with it, and there's coloring pages and more activities and all that kind of stuff. So our goal is this, is we just want to put as many tools in your hands as possible to help make this season as meaningful as possible and as powerful as possible, because it's a very powerful, powerful season. All right. So that's that. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. I want to read a a few passages of Scripture, a few verses here out of Luke chapter 21. And uh, we we don't do this often enough probably, but I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 21, uh, verses 25 through 26. These are the words of Jesus. He says, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that, t- at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told them this parable. He said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you. This generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He says, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on on the face of the whole earth. He says, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm sure that some of you are wondering, you know, what in the world does any of that have to do with Christmas? Um, and, and so just to give you a little clarity, or to at least try and help in that way, I want to begin with a deeply spiritual question this morning. And my question for you is this, how many of you would consider yourselves winter people? 
I told you it was a deep, deep spiritual question, but uh, how, how, I'm serious, you know, how many of you would, would just say, you know what, I absolutely love winter. You know, I, I love the snow, I love the sl- sledding, the skiing, the sitting by the fireplace, drinking hot cocoa. I love everything about winter. Raise your hands. How many would say, I love winter? Okay, a few of you. We got a handful of you. All right. Let, let me just say this. Y'all are freaks. <laughs> and I mean that in the most loving way. But I, I don't understand that, and, and, and I'm guessing, you know, that the rest of you who didn't raise your hand, you know, you are my people, right? We're summer people, right? And so, you know, when we think about summer, you know, we, we, we love things like the sun and going to the pool or going to the lake or playing golf, you know, fishing or picnics and all the awesome things that you can't do when it's 30 below zero and the wind is blowing and it's cold, you know, cold outside. You're summer people. So I, I have one more question for you, you summer people. What in the world are we doing living in Nebraska? Amen. Amen. I, I mean, they're, they're, we're, we're, we're like a day in to the, and I, I promise you this is going somewhere. So Laura always, whenever I start on this track, she's like, where are you going with this? So it is going somewhere. But, but um, you know, those, those of you who, who hate winter, um, and are like me, I'm sure you can probably identify with this. Uh, for, for me, I think the worst month of the year has got to be the month of Feb, Febru, February, February, I can't even say it, Feb, F-E-W, F-E-B, I can't spell it either, <laughs> better quit, F-E-B dot, you know, Feb, February. Um, and the reason I say that is because, um, you know, it, it, it's probably, it's because it's the end of winter time, and by that time, I'm sick of all of the cold and all that kind of stuff, and by the time that February rolls around, you know, it, 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 even though it's got the least amount of days, it feels like it's the longest month, and by that time of the year, it feels like it's been way too cold for way too long, and the skies have been way too gray for way too long, and, and, and the sun has been hidden for way too long, and, and the temperatures have been way too cold for way too long, but the worst thing about it is it feels like that summer will never, ever, ever, ever come. February, I hate it. Now, March, on the other hand, I like March because because just when you begin to think that the sun's never going to shine again, it's in those early days of March. And again, unless you live in Nebraska and it's still snowing in April, but most of the time, it's in those early days of March when, when the first signs of spring begin to break forth. And the sun kind of stays out a little bit longer and the snow begins to disappear and the birds begin to sing again and the trees start to, to bud again. And, and just when I thought that I had lost all hope, you know, it's in those, it's in those early day of, days of March that I'm reminded that summer is just around the corner. It's those signs that we see in early spring that tell us that summer is indeed coming. Well, believe it or not, that's kind of what this passage of Scripture that we read a few minutes ago is talking about. Jesus is is talking to a group of people who who knew what it was to really long for summer. 
You see, he, he was talking to a group of people who, uh, in their day, they were farmers and, and they, they raised sheep and goats, and so they relied on the summer to provide food that they needed in order to survive. And so for them, long winters meant, you know, depleted storehouses. The longer the winter was, the less food that they would have in their storehouses. Long winters involved the prospect of hunger and starvation. And so for them, as the signs of summer came, it would be great news to these people who were dependent upon growing their own food. It was the advent of summer that meant new crops and new harvests and new provision. And so as the winter months would progress, these people who were accustomed to reading the signs, they would hold on to the hope that summer was indeed coming. And so Jesus speaks to them and he says, hey, for those of you who understand what it is to hold on for the hope of summer, remember that one of the signs that points to the coming of summer is when the fig tree and when the trees begin to sprout leaves. And when you see that, you'll know that you can have hope, you can hold on, because even though it may feel like, it may seem like winter is going to last forever, you've been given a sign that clearly points to the reality that summer is near. Now, now obviously, this passage is about way more than just you know, being able to tell that summer's coming. Because uh, Jesus, he, he just uses this as an example because he goes on and he says, listen, if you're wise enough to know that, if you're wise enough to look for certain signs that indicate the changing of the seasons, he says, don't forget, especially, especially when you feel like you've held on as long as you can hold on, when you feel like you're depleted, don't forget to watch for the signs that point to the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand. And of course we know that Jesus' reminder was not just for them, right? It's for us as well. And so as we enter into this season of Advent, it's important that we remember not only that Jesus did indeed come, but we also need to remember that regardless of what's going on in our lives, we can hold on to hope. Because there is another advent coming. Jesus is coming again. And, and it's important for us. We've been told that we are to watch for the signs and make sure that we're ready for his return. So, so what are the signs that Jesus talks about? It, verse 20, verses 25 and 26, Jesus kind of paints this picture in these two verses. And, and honestly, uh, the picture that he paints is kind of scary. Um, he, he says that there, you know, there's going to be some crazy things happening in the sun and the moon and the stars. And he doesn't tell us exactly what those are. He just, he just says that the heavenly bodies will be shaken, whatever that means. He goes on to say that the nations of the earth will be in anguish and perplexity. Boy, we, we, we see that in these days, don't we? I mean, we live in these days of anguish and perplexity amongst the nations. There's, there's questions about all kinds of different stuff, you know, about the, the, the environment and the, and the climate change and, and, and all kinds of, uh, you know, economics and political systems. There's all kinds of anxiety and perplexity that we live in in these days. And, and then he says that the seas are going to be in upheaval. 
We, we're experiencing that right now. I know many of you probably saw this. I read over the weekend about the earthquakes that took place in Alaska. And one of the things that they said they were afraid of is that the shaking of the earth was going to cause a tsunami to go across. And so, you know, we've, we've seen that happen uh, in times past. And so this, the, you know, the seas, the upheaval of the seas and tsunamis and hurricanes and all kinds of unpredictable weather. Jesus says of everything that's taking place, that people are going to be so terrified that they will faint in terror and fear when they see what's going on in the world. Again, we live in kind of that climate right now. There's just kind of this spirit of fear that exists. You know, people are afraid of all of the things that are going on. There's, there's fear financially, and, and there's fear amongst even the rise of fear uh, against, uh, amongst ethnic groups, and there's fear against what's going on in the Middle East. And so we kind of live in this, this season, this time of fear. And Jesus says that that's one of the things that's going to be taking place. There's going to be these physical signs signs that are taking place in the heavens and on the planet, but one of the other signs that we can look for will be the prevalence of fear and anxiety among people. I think it's pretty interesting because um, it's, it's common, even amongst uh, Christians, whenever we talk about Jesus coming again, often we talk about it in terms of it being a very frightful experience. I, I remember when I was a kid, this was way back in the 70s, and uh, I'm sure, sure some of you remember this, but during the 70s, there was kind of a, a, a focus on the return of Christ. It was talked about a lot during that period of time. There were books written about it. Um, one of the ones I remember uh, was Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth. Some of you may remember that book. And so there were lots of books written on the subject. And then there was, there was movies that were made about it. Um, I remember as a kid, we, we showed a bunch of those movies in our church. You know, we, we couldn't go to movies back then, so we just brought movies to the church. And um, <clears throat> I remember movies like A Thief in the Night. Anybody remember that? A Thief in the Night and A Distant Thunder. Um, but, but in these movies, you know, they depicted when, when the rapture would come, when Jesus would come and people were disappearing in the rapture and planes and cars were crashing into each other and graves were opening up and there was all kinds of chaos. And then there was the mark of the beast and the antichrist and people were getting beheaded because they wouldn't renounce Christ. And, and, and as a little kid, I watched those movies and I was absolutely terrified. And in fact, um, I, I was talking to my parents the other day, and uh, we went to lunch, and I was like, what in the world were you thinking letting me watch that movie? And they said, don't throw us under the bus. And so I just threw them under the bus. But I, I remember after watching those movies, for like a week, I slept on their bedroom floor. And in the middle of the night, I would get up just to check and make sure they were still there. You know, and not just their clothes, because that's what happened in the movie. The people would disappear, and their clothes would be in the place where they were. And so it, I, I was terrified about those things. And I remember, I remember one time coming home from school, and my parents weren't there. I don't know if they were over at the church or where they were, but they always left us alone when we were like three or four years old. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They, but but they, weren't, they weren't there, and uh, I was convinced that the rapture had taken place. And so... <clears throat> You know, I knew that I had been left behind, and my sister was with me, but that wasn't a surprise, because I knew she was going to get left behind. <laughs> but anyway, we, I, we, we were convinced that we got left behind, and so I, I'd started calling people in the church, and just would come up with an excuse. And so I remember, I remember calling some friends of ours, and their dad answered the phone, 
And at first I was relieved, and then I was like, oh, man, he didn't make it either. <laughs> and, so, and so I just I started calling everybody in the church, and by the end of my phone calls, like, we had a whole church of people who had missed the rapture. But I was terrified, you know. But oftentimes, you know, these, the, the signs of the times often were and still sometimes are discussed with a lot of fear. And, and Jesus' words allude to that a little bit. And, and, and I want to let you know what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is reminding, especially these people, the audience of his day, of some language that they would have been very familiar with from the Old Testament concerning what was referred to as the day of the Lord. In fact, let me just give you a couple of examples. The first one is in uh, the Old Testament book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And the prophet Joel says this as he's predicting the day of the Lord, as he's looking forward and prophesying about the day of the Lord. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. And then he describes what this day is going to be like. He says it's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. And then in, in Amos chapter 5, the prophet Amos talks about this day of the Lord. And he says in verses 18 through 20, he says, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? He says that day will be a day of darkness, not light. It will be though as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered into his house and he rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. He says, will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? And those are just a couple of examples, but, but, the, but the Old Testament is full of passages of Scripture that talk about things like natural disasters and darkness and war and impending doom, all as signs describing the coming of the day of the Lord. The, the, the day of the Lord or the coming of the Lord was considered to the, by them to be a time when, or a day when the enemies of God would be punished. And so much of the Old Testament language pointed to, to kind of a, a day of judgment for anyone who stands in opposition to the ways of God. But here's what's interesting. What, what's interesting is that Scripture also describes the return of Christ, not just as a day of justice and judgment, but it's also described as a time of mercy and a time of blessing particularly towards the people of God. For, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 4, the, the prophet Isaiah says that in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. He says those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, they will be called holy all who are recorded among them and living in Jerusalem, the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. 
Then he says, the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. That sounds familiar, right? Remember the time of Moses. The fire and the smoke was symbolism of the presence of the Lord. He he says over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place from the storm and the rain. One one other in in Zechariah chapter 14. He, He says this, he says, on that day, On the day of the Lord, on that day, living water will flow from Jerusalem. Half of it to the east, to the Dead Sea, and half of it to the west, to the Mediterranean Sea. In summer and winter, the the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And he says, on that day, there will be one Lord, and his name will be the only name. (laughs) And so it kind of makes you wonder. You know, which is it? Is the day of the Lord a day of of judgment that should be feared? Or is it a day of mercy and blessing that should be longed for? And I think the answer to that question is yes. Yes, it is. It is certainly a day of judgment that should be feared. But it is also a day of mercy and blessing that we ought to look forward to and long for. And when I think about all this, you know, I'm reminded of back when I was a kid. Most of the time, you know, when I was young, most of the time, I couldn't wait until my dad got home from work. Because I knew that when dad got home, you know, typically we would sit down around the dinner table, we would enjoy a meal together as a family, and then sometimes after dinner we would go play a game together or we would watch a movie or TV or we'd go outside and play catch or something like that. And so most of the time when I was young, most of the time, I looked forward to when my dad would come home so we could spend time together. Most of the time. However, sometimes, and I know this is going to be hard to believe, but, but sometimes when dad was away, I wasn't always the best behaved little guy. And, and, and there, were, there were times, you know, sometimes I made life difficult for my mom and I wouldn't always respond to what she wanted me to do. And, and there were times when that would happen, you know, when I just kind of exasperated her, that she would pull out the most dangerous weapon that any mother has in her arsenal and she would say wait until you're some of you have heard that yeah wait until your father gets home now the reality was on most days I couldn't wait however (laughs) on these days I was perfectly fine waiting you know On most days, I couldn't wait till he got home because it was all going to be fun and games. It was all going to be good. But when I had been disobedient, when I had behaved in a way that wasn't a a reflection of how my father had taught me to behave or expected for me to behave, when I was disobedient and when I didn't show love and concern and respect to the people around me, particularly in these cases my mother, on those days, the coming of my father The advent of my father was not met with hope and expectation, but instead it was met with fear and trembling. You understand what I'm talking about? You see, the thing about justice is, 
The, the, the justice is only scary for those who live unjust. And justice is only frightening for those who act in unjust ways. And regardless of the language, you know, the theme of the entire Old Testament and these texts in particular that we looked at this morning, they seem to be all about justice. And oftentimes, you know, when we approach these texts with their language of, of natural disasters and calamity among the nations and the sky turning dark and all of those things, when we approach them with an attitude of fear. But what I want to remind you of this morning is that fear is, has never been the intended posture for the people of God. Amen. Fear has never Never meant, fear was never meant to be the posture of living for the people of God. What I want you to understand this morning is that Jesus' words here, they have way more to do with redemption than they do with condemnation. That this whole idea, you know, that when Jesus comes back, that the world will be ruled with, with terror and destruction, I'm telling you, that is miles apart from, and it misses the heart of every text that points to his return. You, you see, the heart of the message is not about destruction, but rather it is all about redemption. The, the signs are not signs of destruction. Instead, they are signs that are pointing towards restoration and renewal. And we see that in verse 28. In particularly, Jesus says that when these things begin to take place, even though they may look scary, even though you may not understand them, when these things begin to take place, notice what Jesus says. He says, stand up and lift up your heads. Why? Why should we do that? You know, when all this crazy, frightening stuff is happening in the world, why? As sons and daughters of God, Jesus says, you don't need to be afraid. Lift up your heads. And the reason why, he says, is because your redemption is drawing nigh. Jesus says, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around you. No, no matter how much it looks like that the world is falling apart, no matter how much it looks like that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, Jesus says that as sons and daughters of the living God, we don't have to cower and hide. We don't have to be afraid. He says, instead, when you see those signs, when we see those things, what we need to do is we need to take it as good news. We need to receive it as good news because what it means is, is that redemption is coming. So Advent, both, both the first and second Advents of Jesus, they are both centered around the hope of redemption. Redemption, both of the past, but also redemption of the future. You, you see, 2,000 years ago, before Jesus ever came the first time, even though this language that we read this morning in the Old Testament, it was fearful, the Jews, they did not fear the coming of the Messiah. They longed for it. And the reason that they were so desperate for the Messiah to come was, was because they knew that when he came, he would bring with them, first of all, justice for their oppressors, but he, they also knew that he would bring with him freedom and redemption for them. 
You see, their problem was, I mean, they knew that, but, but what their problem was, was that when Jesus did come, even though he did bring with him justice and redemption, what their problem was that he brought it in a way that they weren't looking for. He, he brought it in a way that they didn't expect. You, you see, what they wanted and what they expected was that when he came, that he would come and he would destroy the opposing empires militarily and politically. And the reason that, that so many of them totally missed his coming was because in, um, instead of bringing justice through the political system, Jesus came teaching that the real solution was simply by establishing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. He, he taught the answer was not through meeting anger with anger. He, he taught that the answer was not through conflict and demonstrations of might and power, but he taught that the real solution would only come through demonstrations of love and mercy. And what is so sad is that an entire people totally missed the very thing that they had longed for their entire lives. They, they missed what they had lived for, and the reason they missed it was because they were looking for the wrong signs. Man, let that be a lesson for us this morning. Let, let, let's not miss the moments when God actually shows up because we were looking for something that he never intended to do. I think way too often we miss the fact that the presence of God is right where we are because we're looking for him to do something that he never even intended to do. I'm afraid that way too often, you know, when we see the injustices that are around us and, you know, we, we look at the world that is around us and we see the immorality that exists in our culture and we see the current climate that is in so many ways anti-Christian and we, we, we cry out, we say, come Lord Jesus, set things right. And I'm afraid that way too often what we're really looking for and what we're really hoping for is the destruction of the groups or the individuals who are the perpetrators of injustice. When instead, maybe what we ought to be looking for are the ways that God wants to bring justice and redemption, not through destruction, but rather through love and through mercy. In other words, maybe what we ought to be looking for is not the ways that God wants to destroy and punish anybody who doesn't agree with us. But instead, maybe what we ought to be looking for are the ways that he just wants to set things right by demonstrating his love and mercy that he's already put in us. You see, because the reality is that that's what all of us have received. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, that is what all of us received when we were still living far from God. Love and mercy. I guess what I'm trying to say is, God certainly is a God of justice. We're not, we, we don't discount that. I'm not denying that. And, and there certainly will come a day when true justice will come.
And I don't want us to miss that day. <laughs> and I don't, want to miss, I don't want us to miss that day because we equate justice with annihilation and revenge. <laughs> that, that word justice is a word that simply means to set things right or to make things right, which again is what Jesus came to do. And he promised that when he comes again, he will indeed make all things right. <laughs> and so in this crazy world that we live in, in this crazy political climate that we live in, where, where, you know, where lines have been drawn and we have become so polarized. My hope this morning is that as, that as sons and daughters of the God of mercy, because that's what we are, sons and daughters of the God of mercy, that we would lead the way. And that our hope would not center around revenge or destruction for whoever doesn't agree with us, even when they're mean, but instead that we would put our confidence in the fact that whenever Jesus shows up, he promises that even the worst things will be made right. Friends, that's where our hope lies. Not in destruction, but in restoration. And I don't know about you, but I just don't want to miss Jesus. And it's so easy to miss him, even when he is in our midst. Earlier in this chapter that where Jesus is speaking uh, in, in chapter 21, earlier he's got a group of disciples and they're in the temple and they're enjoying all the grandeur of the temple and they're looking around at this magnificent place and they begin to talk about, you know, what are the signs that we can look for in the day of the Lord? And the sad part of that is that many of them, they did not realize yet that they were actually standing in the presence of the Lord. They were looking for his coming and they were missing the fact that they were already in his presence and I don't want to miss that we, we don't want to miss that you see you see redemption is coming Jesus is coming and we don't want to miss him when he's in our midst and so while we indeed are to wait in hopeful expectation for Jesus return we also need to remember in the meantime Let's not overlook the places where Jesus is already present. Let, let's not miss the places, the instances, the ways that Jesus is already at work amongst us. And let's not forget the message of Jesus' first advent. His message was that the kingdom has come. It, it's a now kingdom, and we don't want to miss the signs of the nowness of his presence for the sake of signs of the future. Redemption is happening now. It's in our presence. We just have to have eyes to see. And at the same time, you know, because it's not either or, it's both and. At the same time, we don't want to miss the message of his second advent. <laughs> that, that there will indeed come a day when Jesus will return again. And when he comes, justice and redemption in their fullness we see it in part now, but justice and redemption in their fullness will come with him. And because of that reality, we don't have to be afraid. We can look forward with hope and anticipation. And so, in this in-between time, we watch for the signs, right? Just like eventually, some of us, my people, my summer people, we're going to be looking for the signs of summer. 
And just, just as we know that summer will indeed come again. Why? Because we've been given the promise of the calendar. That summer will come again. We also have the promise in the same way of God's word that he will come again. And so let's live in that reality now with our heads lifted up because we can rest in the promise that no matter what we may face in our lives, there will come a day when Jesus will come again. And when he comes, he will make everything right. That's the thrill of hope, <laughs> that Jesus will make everything right. Amen? Just stand with me this morning. Jesus, as we close out our time together this morning, we want to praise you. <laughs> Because of the thrill of hope that you've given to us, that we don't live with our heads um, just kind of tucked away somewhere, afraid, cowering in the corner. We, we don't have to live in fear that as sons and daughters of the living God, as heirs to all that is yours, that we can live with hopeful anticipation, even when things are not going the way that we want them to go or think they ought to go right now. Even when we look and we see all of the chaos in the world, when we see all of the upheaval in the world, and it seems like things are falling apart, we can hold on to the promise that every time you show up on the scene, what you do is you make things right. And that's the promise that you've given to us, that you will make things right in our lives, that you'll make things right in the lives of our family, that you'll make things right in the world that we live in. And you are a trustworthy God. We don't understand all of the ways that you'll do that. We just know you've made a promise. And so we hold you to the promise. And we put our hope in you and your promise. And so Jesus, on this first Sunday of Advent, as we look back and we give thanks and we praise you for coming, and we look forward with anticipation of your coming again, would you help us to live these days in the reality of the hope that you've given to us? Your promise is that your hope never fails. And so we hold on to that hope. We're going to walk in it even this week. And so, Jesus, we give you praise this morning, and we thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks, y'all, for getting out on a snowy, wintry Sunday morning. And uh, stay safe as you do.